uh, John chapter 2 ended with Jesus cleansing the temple and and uh, he may, there's a statement there that he did not commit himself to man because he knew what was in man. He didn't need that anybody should te testify of him or anything. So as we get into chapter 3, I wanted to share a Spurgeon quote with you that I thought uh, would, would bless you and, and it sets the tone for what we're about to study. Spurgeon wrote, if we were asked to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter as the most suitable one for such an occasion. And what is good for, the di for dying men is good for us all. For that is what we are. And how soon uh, we may be actually at the gates of death, none of us can tell. So it just, uh, you know, if we're going to share, if somebody's on their deathbed and we are ever wondering, okay, what could I share with them? Bring them to John chapter 3. Because in John chapter 3, when you get into verses 16 and 17 and you learn of who Jesus Christ is and what he was here to do and, and, and God's love for us. And then in and, and 17 where it says uh, he didn't send, that God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, we, we already, under the power of sin, we already are we already condemned. If we don't have a relationship with Christ, we're already condemned. It's Christ that gives us the hope. So if we're reading this to anybody who's dying, then uh, this would be a great one to share, as Spurgeon said. But it applies to everybody. It doesn't have to be somebody who's on their deathbed. And, and in fact, with deathbed, there might be the question of a deathbed confession. Is it true or not? We don't know. But our job is to share the word of God. And let the word uh, do its work and the Holy Spirit do his work. And uh, the rest of it's up to God. And it's between that person and Christ. Do they have a relationship with Christ or not? Trusting in him for salvation? I've done this before. I had a friend who was passing away. He had a, a disease that was slowly but, uh, but cruelly taking his life uh, to the point where he couldn't move anymore. You know, hey, my, my knee itches. Can you, can you scratch my knee? You know, he had ALS. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. Young, young man, died in his 30s, mid-30s. And uh, myself, uh, well, I was, I, I was there along with, uh, when, when I was ordained, uh, probably what, a month and a half ago, two months ago, um, uh, Mike, uh, yeah, brand new, yeah, uh, uh, Mike Archer that came from Calvary Chapel in Orrington, and uh, David Lehman uh, also uh, is, is at Calvary Chapel in Orrington. Uh, those two that came up, the three of us were there to pray with our friend P.J., uh, he was at the point where he couldn't even, so ALS, the way it works is it paralyzes you. You still have feeling in those limbs, but you can't move. So you'd be sitting there with, with next to PJ and talking to him and he'd take a breath and he'd try to talk to you and everything. He's like, my, my knee, my knee itches. Can you scratch it? You know, and you're scratching his knee and those things. He came to a point where he heard the gospel and, and wanted to give his life to the Lord. Um, we, uh, we got to pray with him and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, it was shortly after that, that he passed away. Uh, wasn't able to speak <clears throat> anymore, but I still have a video. We videotaped it <laughs> so that, so that we can, uh, you know, me and, uh, you know, my two brothers can, can look at it, you know, just to see it, <clears throat> what he went through and to be able to, to pray with him. He, he didn't have the opportunity to go, uh, you know, go get baptized and all those things. And, and uh, he didn't have the opportunity to go to church any way that somebody would think that he needs to earn his way. It was based on the faith that he professed in Christ and confessing that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. 
So as so I I literally I didn't even think of this until right now this whole this whole story but as we're reading this just to understand the heart of the matter and when Spurgeon said that if we're reading it to a dying every single person walking around here is dying spiritually if they don't have a relationship with Christ. So if you're ever wondering, hey, what can I share with them? I the the Bible so you know 66 books, what would I share? I mean, some of these things have 150 chapters and all those things. John chapter 3. Just open it up. You can go to Genesis 1, John 1 and just go through a few verses in John 1, 1 through 3 and then verse 14 and then and then go right to John 3 explaining who God is, his love for us and our need for him and that he loves us and and so as we're studying through this just understand that that this is this this gospel. You know, when you watching football and you see John three sixteen put up on a, uh, which was cool. I, even in today's world, people are still bringing that sign to to football games, or you know, uh, you might see something on you know a wrestling match or or whatever that you know John three sixteen, and uh, it's a blessing that somebody's out there just just trying to minister to somebody that they might look up. What does John three sixteen mean? And they now nowadays, when I was a kid, we didn't have like the internet in our hand. Uh, we barely had the internet, right? That was pretty new and everything. I'm 40. I just turned 43 yesterday. So, uh, you know, w- within my lifetime, now we can have these things here and uh, we, we've got so much available to us right here. But if, if our life or something we do inspires somebody to look up John 3.16, amen. You know, and then that, then to have the discussion of God's love and that He's He's willing to forgive. Uh, the 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 lie of the enemy is that your sin is too great to be saved. You've done too much to be saved. When we look through all of this, this conversation that Jesus has with a religious leader uh, in Israel, that we can be blessed by a conversation that was had two thousand years ago that's written down for us. Your church may have it in red letters, and that's because it's the words of Jesus. So, so let's uh, let's start reading John chapter three verse one says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came by came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we see here that the, a man, there's a man named Nicodemus that comes to Jesus by night. Now, if somebody's coming to somebody by night, uh, it's uh, there are a couple things that you can probably look into. But most of all, you're going to find this person is coming in secret and that they want a private conversation, a quiet time. So this guy came to see Jesus in a time where he believed Jesus wouldn't be thronged by people and a time where he might not be discovered coming to Jesus. So as we look at, at, at the uh, a glimpse into Nicodemus's life, and from what we can see in the scriptures, it's a very interesting study. So it says that he's a Pharisee. Uh, a Pharisee is a religious uh, leader within Israel that believed in the spiritual. The Sadducees did not, uh, but the the Pharisees did, and and the Pharisees were were ones that had vowed to adhere to the 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's a lot of laws. So they had dedicated their life to knowing the word and following the word to a T. And what we see in uh, in the ministry of Jesus is as the Pharisees are consuming, uh, uh, confronting Jesus, they don't understand that they have only gotten tied up in the law and you can do this, you can't do that. And they totally lost the fact that you can have a relationship with God. And that, that that law that they then they started adding on to, and they would they would add to those those laws and make things uh, a total burden to people. And uh, what Jesus would say, you know, it's 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 you honor. He, he confronts them. He says, "You honor your traditions over the word of God." 
And that's what it came to is they got so wrapped up in what they were doing is that their traditions became more important to them than uh, than the word of God. So he's in the position of power. Uh, he's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. Uh, and uh, we know from studying that he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which was a special uh, group of, of religious leaders, uh, 70 people. So he was he was one of the most 70 uh, religious people. Uh, religiously powered people uh, in Israel. And he comes to Jesus by night for that one-on-one -on -one conversation. And he comes to him and says, teacher, we know that you are from God, which uh, is partially incorrect. Teacher, you are God. Jesus, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And those verses that I shared with you, John chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 3, and John verse 14, declare that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So if that's, if that's of any uh, concern to you, you have any questions, come talk to me after service and we'll talk about that. So Jesus is God who came in the flesh here to teach men. So this conversation that he's having with Jesus is an interesting, uh, the beginning of an interesting spiritual journey for Nicodemus. So right now we see that he's visiting Jesus by night in secret, inquiring of Christ. In John chapter 7, we're going to see that he's a cautious defender of Christ. So John chapter 7 is two years later. There's a feast, one of the, uh, the most important feasts in the religious uh, calendar for Israel, and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Sanhedrin is enraged at Christ's, Christ's proclamations. And uh, John chapter 7 verse 45 says, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or, or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Then we see in verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So we see at first he comes to Jesus by night in secret, inquiring of Christ. Then we see in John chapter 7 that he's there uh, cautiously defending Christ. And lastly, we see him in John chapter 19 as a public follower of Christ, displaying allegiance to Christ as he and Joseph of Arimathea ask for permission to take the body of Jesus down off the cross, and they do. They embalm him and place him in a tomb. With, uh, with everything on the line, Nicodemus makes the right public decision. Everything's on the line. He came to Jesus by night at first, cautiously defended Jesus. Now everything's on the line, and he makes it public. He's a follower of Christ. He was involved. It says that he, that he embalmed him, and... Uh, Myrrh and aloes, uh, if, you, if you get into that study, myrrh and aloes of about 100 pounds, enough to, uh, to prepare a king for burial. 100 pounds. Remember the, the gifts that were brought to Jesus uh, when he was in the manger? The, and it says that, that the wise men came and they brought three gifts. Uh, just so you know, not necessarily just three wise men. There were three gifts brought by wise men, but the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for burial. That's an Weird gift to give to a child, you know, just, hey, you know, we brought some embalming fluid for your child, you know, but it was prophetic. It was prophetic. Nicodemus did, in fact, bury a king 
and he was the king of kings. So based on church tradition, this cost Nicodemus everything. Uh, if I was a batting man, I'm not. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that Nicodemus never once regretted a decision to publicly show an allegiance to Christ, even though he lost everything. He lost his position of power, everything. He knew that his faith uh, being set in Christ uh, was the right one. It was a calculated decision, and following Christ should be a calculated decision. It shouldn't be something that I get people here, and I stir them up emotionally, and I get them to say a prayer that they just maybe feel compelled to do, but don't really from their heart want to make it, but they uh, they just, you know, everybody else is doing it, so I've got to do it. It's a calculated decision that we come to a point of of understanding that we personally need a Savior, and we make that confession that Christ is the Savior that we need, and we proclaim, that we, we proclaim that faith that has taken place in our hearts. Remember what we've talked about. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved, right? So that, that calculated decision, understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and then count the cost and make that decision and follow him. He goes on to say in verse we'd note as, uh, as 2b, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Not necessarily true, but I understand the, the, what he means from there. You, it, you, might, uh, you might remember uh, the Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian sorcerers, you know, right before the great exodus. They're able to, to do their own signs and wonders and what God did always overpowered them. But Pharaoh was deceived by them. Uh, scripture to share with you, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses uh, 7 through 12 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, uh, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Listen to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the works of Satan, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send on them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This verse, as we're going to see as we're reading through John chapter 3, uh, just so greatly correlates to what we're studying here. But the Antichrist will, will do sign. Listen to this from Revelation chapter 13. I know that screen isn't working. Hopefully this one is, and we'll have the verses up there. Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14. He, the second beast, a satanic, a satanic prophet, says he performed performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 11, that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So it's important to understand there, there, that signs can be displayed. It's important for us to understand that our faith needs to be, faith comes by here. What does the scripture say? In Hebrews, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how we come to faith. It's not the magic show that we're, that we're reading of here uh, of the, the Antichrist or the false prophets or anything like that. What we see here is that people can be led astray 
if they do, they're not grounded in the word of God. So when Nicodemus says nobody could do these signs unless God is with it, I understand what he's saying, but it's important to understand signs can be done to mislead. People that may seem genuine in, in, in even twisting the scripture. Remember, we studied this in, in Genesis 3, how Satan, the father of lies, twisted God's truth enough to get uh, Adam and Eve to listen. Just enough, just enough to gain their trust, and then, and then Eve takes of the fruit and then hands to her husband. Because Satan used, uh, used a partial truth to add to it, and that's how Satan works. Adds to the word of God, takes away from the word of God to deceive. It's important for us to understand and know the scripture so that we're not deceived. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to, say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So in verse 3, the Lord says in, in the New King James Version, most assuredly, if you have a King James Version in your hand, it, it says verily, verily in it, probably. Uh, and when he says, I say verily, verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that most assuredly, uh, when Jesus said this, he's making sure uh, that whoever's listening understood that he was saying this because it's of the utmost import importance. So what he's doing here, uh, when he says what he said in verse 3, that someone must be born again to enter the king to see the kingdom of God. He's presenting a Jewish religious leader with the truth that it's not about one's physical birth lines, but spiritual. So it's completely opposite from everything that they knew and understood from their, from their culture and in their history. It's all about uh, for them, the bloodline and the heritage. If you were Jewish, you were one of God's people. If you're a Gentile, you might be able to become one of God's people. So Jesus is, is explaining something new to him. Verse 4 says, how, his response is, how can a man be born when he is old? So Nicodemus is confused and can't grasp this spiritual truth that's being presented to him uh, regarding rebirth. And uh, he's trying to get clarification. He knows it's impossible for a man uh, to be physically born twice. Not happening, right? It's not happening. So uh, Jesus takes him here as we read through, through an, uh, you know, an eye-opening lesson to speak to him of spiritual things. And so he should be familiar as a teacher of, of uh, you know, children of Israel with the need uh, for uh, spiritual rebirth. And that, that God uh, is uh, speaking throughout, even the, uh, throughout the Old Testament. So I can tell you right now, I've heard pastors say that, that literally the word was, and I spoke against him here, and I don't remember his name, uh, but he said that, that Christians should unhitch from the Old Testament. We should unhitch from it and just keep going and just read the New Testament. You are not going to understand the gravity of the New Testament without the other. So you're, what you're saying is God didn't know what he's doing and giving us the, the, the Old Testament. That's an extremely prideful statement. 
saying, well, yeah, well, God didn't really know what he was doing. You can just kind of unhitch from the Old Testament and just keep going. Oh, my goodness. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want the curse that comes from the one that, that Jesus said that takes away from the word. Yeah, then our name being taken out of the book of life. No, thanks. No, thanks. No, the Old Testament points to the New Testament, points to Jesus. So as a religious leader that teaches the scripture, he should be familiar of what a new birth would mean, a, a, a regeneration would mean. When you look at a scripture, I don't have it up here, but Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 30 speaks, and, and the Lord says, and uh, you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. The, and then in verse 3 it says, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Verse 6, it goes on to say, And the Lord your God will circumcise uh, your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, uh, that you may live. So it's speaking uh, that, that God desires a rebirth. Because Israel, how many times did they get led away because of their sin? They got led away, brought into captivity. God would bring them back in his goodness. Uh, another, another scripture to share with you, Jeremiah. There's, there, there are a lot here, so if you want those notes, I can share them with you, but I'd be reading for a half hour, reading all these things here. But I, I highlighted some parts from Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch, capital B, Jesus Christ, of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Skip ahead to uh, the next verse. Oh, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. Uh, now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness, not our own righteousness. Now that I'm good enough, now I can come to Jesus. I've, I've, I've taken care of this in my life. I've taken care of that in my life. I'm no longer drinking. I'm no longer partaking in pornography. I'm no longer partaking in sex outside of marriage. I'm no longer, but whatever it is, I've kicked that drug habit. I've got, I've got everything lined up and I'm perfect and now I can come to God. That's total opposite of, of how God's economy works. The sinner comes to Jesus, is cleansed, and then is made new and, and begins to walk. As he says here, uh, unless you are born again, and we're going to... You guys know how excited I get, and I want to jump ahead five, you know, five paragraphs in my notes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep to them. Uh, one last note I wanted to share with you, uh, Jeremiah 31. It speaks of a new covenant, and the Lord says this in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31: "I will put my law in their minds and write it on, on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall each man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me." From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Iniquity and sin exist in all of us. But the offer of the Lord is to trade that for eternal life. There, there will never and there is never, there has never been and there will never be a greater trade offer to offer your junk that is killing you for eternal life. You know, if you're an investor, this is the greatest investment you can ever make. Trade in our sinful desire, our sinful flesh, uh, that, that sin that so easily ensnared us and was killing us. Remember, we talked about it on Wednesday, that sin uh, grows when uh, someone's led, led away by their own desires and, and enticed to sin. And then sin, when it comes into our lives, gives uh, those, sorry, that desire gives 
birth to sin, and then sin, as when it grows, brings forth death. It always brings forth death. Trading death for life just by faith, just trusting in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest trade you'll ever make, the greatest investment we can ever make. Being born again, where it says it says here uh, that I share with Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 6, the Lord our righteousness, that he is our righteousness, that we don't walk up to God with a whole wagon full of righteousness and say, Here's my righteousness, Lord. And you got the radio flyer on the side, and you know I got. I, here's everything I did for you, Lord. You know the big, you know, grin on our face. I'm, I'm good, right? No, did I? Did my good outweigh the bad? You know, no, it's not the case at all. We come in His righteousness. Verse five, uh, we just studied, but Jesus said to said to Nicodemus, most surely I said say to you, unless one is born of the water and spirit. Uh, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Once again, verily, verily, or most assuredly. So Jesus is making a, a very powerful point, great emphasis here, born of water, uh, which is speaking of the, the, the natural birth, uh, and the spirit, the spiritual birth. So uh, you may read several different commentaries of what they believe Jesus was saying was born of water. Um, you know, was that speaking of baptism? And then I, I, I've read one that says, well, no, it's not baptism because baptism is a symbol of death. You know, the, when, when, when we're baptized, the old person goes down. Then the new person comes up. Read that yourself and pray about it. Get into your commentaries and see what the Lord speaks to you. <clears throat> but ultimately what we can see here is and, and understand that we all experience a physical birth. Everybody here was born. Like we didn't. One way or the other, we were born, right? You know, we were all born. And what we see in the scripture is that flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spiritual things. When we're born naturally, we're born uh, out of the flesh and, and born out of water. But when we're born again, we're born from above. So when we're born naturally, born of the flesh, born of water, but we're born again uh, from, from above and of the spirit. So that first birth. Our first birth leads to death, right? All of us understand this, that at some point we're all going to breathe our last here. That last is going to be breathed, and then what happens there? So that can be an interesting discussion, and you may get a bunch of different answers. Well, you return to the earth, or you come back as a tree, or uh, can you imagine that? 200 years, you're just standing there. You know, I, I don't know. You know, just that, that, that we would reincarnate as something else. That's a lie. It's not in the scripture. You know, this, this, this book is, is what the Christian gets our, our doctrine from, what we can base our life on. And what the scripture says is that it's appointed to man once to die. One time. Every one of us is going to die. Every one of us. You know, when we breathe our last, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's not like we're, we're absent from the body and then we're going to go roam in someone's old house in their attic and boo, scare people or anything like that. When we die, we go and we're in the presence of the Lord. And we have two destinations at that point, into his presence or away from his presence. We want to go into his presence. So spiritual birth, so... The first birth leads to death. The spiritual birth leads to eternal life. God's a giver of spiritual and physical life. So he's the one that breathed the breath of life into us, and he's also the one that gives us eternal life. 
Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. People will say that's narrow-minded. Well, coming from the creator of the earth and everything, the creator of all things, I'm going to listen to him over your opinion. I'm going to obey the word. The, I'm going to put my faith and trust in the word of God over the opinion of man. Jesus is the only way to be saved. So what we see here is that Jesus didn't answer what Nicodemus present. Uh, uh, Nicodemus had presented here. Jesus is digging way past what Nicodemus is saying, and he gets to something that's more important. Uh, it's it's a matter that. Uh, speaks directly to a deeper topic than uh, that Nicodemus needs to understand physically, uh, spiritually himself. You, you might remember you know, Jesus had the ability, even as a twelve-year-old, to walk into the temple and amaze. He's the Word of God, so he, he can he can speak and amaze. But he's amazing all those religious teachers when he stayed back, when his family had all kept kept, kept going. And you know, at the end of the day, everybody's like, "Where's Jesus?" And they couldn't find him. Right? They went back and they're looking around for him for days. Where is Jesus? And they find him in the temple. And he's amazing everybody there. He was there to speak to the hearts. I wonder. You know, was Nicodemus there? Don't know. We're not going to make a dogmatic stance on it. I wonder if Nicodemus was there. We don't know. So he is, he's, he's teaching and he's speaking to a religious leader. An important thing to understand is that Jesus said that somebody must be born again. So I, I, I need to... I need to get this point across. There, there are studies that say that 80 to 85% of Americans can consider themselves to be Christians. If 80 to 85% of America was walking with God, we would not be dealing with what the craziness we're dealing with here on a daily basis. Unfortunately, I don't believe that that's the case. Then it breaks it down between those who, who say they're a born-again believer and then just a basic Christian. I'm here to present to you, there is no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You can't not be born again and be a Christian. You're either born again with the Spirit, by the Spirit, because of Christ, or we're not. So you're either a Christian, based on your relationship with Christ, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, or we are not. So you can't be a non-born-again Christian. So just so you know, and I've actually heard people scoff and tell me, oh, you're a BAC. I'm like, what is a BAC? What do you mean? What are you calling me? He's like, oh, you're a born-again Christian. Okay, great. All right, I've never been called that. You know, so a born-again a born again Christian. Yes, I am. So, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is not about religious activity and achievements. It's, it's not about, you know, uh, coming to church. It's not about tithing. It's not about uh, attendance at a spiritual concert. It's not about anything about that. It's about one person's personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's 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 it. There's nothing nothing we can do, no check boxes that we can check to go, okay, now, now I'm saved because of what I've done. We've said it over and over again. Ephesians tells us that. We're saved by grace through faith. Grace, un, unmerited favor. Through faith, just believing in Christ, that uh, we are saved by grace through faith, uh, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because if we can boast, we're going to. Oh, I've done all these things. Here's my spiritual resume. I got my I got my first class ticket to heaven. The spiritual resume is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. It's all based on His merit, His righteousness, His grace. 
I've heard it said, and I, I just want to bring it up here as we're talking about rebirth, God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have grandchildren. So it, we've always told, you know, my kids, my oldest is sitting over there, and um, I, he, he does, they don't have a relationship with God because we do. They need their own one. And I remember that one over there, and, and she's probably going to yell at me for even, even mentioning her. But, uh, you know, at four, four years old, laying in her bed, and, and, and we're talking to her about God, and we had read some stuff, and, and she accepted the Lord. And uh, you know, and, and she's like, so so now I'm saved, and she she understood that she was a, a sinner and that she needed a savior, and she prayed, and then at the end of it, she says she looks down at her chest and says, "All right, it's time to go to bed, Jesus. You know, he's he's in he's in my heart. You know, so uh, just th those things, those things that happen. God doesn't have grandchildren." So each person is presented the gospel that's presented the gospel has a choice to become a child of God or not. You know, when we're born again, we should be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It's important to understand that a a, a drastic moral change of direction, a, you know, turning away from addiction, giving everything away, does not equal salvation. Just because someone has said, "I'm not going to be a liar anymore." I'm not going to cheat on my husband or wife anymore. I'm not going to do da 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 da. I'm not going to beat on my family. I'm not just because someone has turned from that doesn't mean that they are now a Christian. Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've I, I've told you very close family members of mine. One that I just lost last last year to alcoholism. One that has struggled mightily uh, with a severe drug addiction. You know, people that I, I've grown up with that I love very close. For them to kick that addiction, yes, please kick that addiction. Save your physical life, but you still have a soul in you. You still have a soul that needs to be saved. You still have an appointment with Jesus Christ. You have to come to that decision whether you want to accept him or reject him. There's a spiritual rebirth that needs to happen. So morality doesn't... There are, there are people outside the church that morality, you can look at their life and go, wow, that person's got it all together. They're not this, 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 and this, this, but they're not a believer also. Great. They may be more of a blessing to everyone around them and people can trust them with their money or whatever it is, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. They're not on their way to heaven when they leave this world. Speaking of born again, it's, it essentially means, a Bible scholar, Merrill Tenney, said this, essentially this means to have new life. A theological term for this is regeneration. It isn't simply a moral or religious reform, but the bringing of new life to belong to the heavenly kingdom. One must be born into it. One must be born into it. Nicodemus would understand being born into a, a uh, favor with God because Israel was uh, God's chosen people. So he would understand that. You know, and, and when Jesus is telling him a new birth that needs to happen for you to be a child of God. Titus chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Not by works of righteousness, 
But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Born of the Spirit, right? Born, what's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the Spirit is spirit. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7. Jesus said, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He's speaking to a high-level high religious leader that believed that he and those around him had already been transformed by God, but he, is, he wasn't. You know, he, had, he had a lot of things going for him religiously. He's doing X, Y, and Z. He's washing his hands when he should. He's you know, wearing the right robes. He's doing all these things. He's doing, doing, doing. But he, uh, Jesus is speaking to a greater need for him. Verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I was blessed to read uh, of Chuck Smith speaking of this. And uh, he shared a story as a little kid, and his mom was explaining this to him. And his mom's like, do you know, you can't see the wind out there. He's like, yes, I can. Look out there. And she's like, no, you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the actual wind. So Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that he can't understand everything about the wind, but he can see the wind and he can feel, uh, he can't see the wind, but he can feel its effects. So for Christians, we should be bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit so that his effects can be uh, felt or known uh, in our lives and uh, those around us. So when people witness us, when they see us, they see us living a Christian life, when we bear that name that we wouldn't bear it in, in, in vain, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then we, uh, are, you know, our fruit is completely opposite and doesn't reflect that. That's it's not the way it should be. We should be bearing the fruits of the Spirit so that when people witness us, when they see us, and uh, just like the wind, when they see the effects of the wind, when they see the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives, they should know that there's something different about us. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those should be the fruits of our lives. When we're born of the Spirit, we should be people that are displaying love, joy, peace, a long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a lot in there. There's a lot to meditate on uh, in, in that specific passage right there. Of what the, how should people be experiencing the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Just as we can look at the wind and see, wow, the effects of the wind is, okay, great effects of wind, right? Uh, you, you think of, uh, did you just say Florida? Yeah, think of Florida. Houses, communities wiped out by the effect of wind. You know, you think of a tornado in um, uh, Missouri, Joplin, Missouri, that, that massive one. And I, I know somebody who's from right around there. And, and the horror she felt when she, she was flying. She was flying from like Washington State back to Alaska. And she told me when they took off, it hadn't happened. And when they landed, her phone's blowing up like crazy. And then when she hears, she's like, she's not able to get a hold of family. She doesn't know if she lost people. Thankfully, her family was spared. But the, the effect of that that wind tunnel of a tornado and how it how it greatly so you're able to see the effect of that that powerful effect the powerful effect of us just bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. People should see these things in our lives. We are sinners. We're going to have some times where we lose our self control. 
We're going to have times where we lose our anger. We're not, we're not really being kind. But as we continuously are in the word and we're growing day to day, it's a growing process. It's not like, boom, we're saved and we're perfect. And for the rest of our lives, uh, we never have to worry about anything and we're walking around. Uh, the Lord is changing us, making us more like him, but it is a process. So the effects of the Spirit should be evident in a Christian and that we should be bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So when someone sees our lives, those family members, those those friends, the co-workers, uh, they should, uh, when they see our lives, they should ser- what the fruits that are coming from our lives should serve as a testimony to Christ's power in our life. That we have been born again. That we're changed because of Christ. Verses nine, uh, verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? 10 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? How can these things be? So he's still confused. Nicodemus is still confused and believes that he's already living you know, a new life, a life of, of right standing with God. And Jesus continues to explain, continues to open his spiritual eyes. And Jesus chides him here and says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? We don't know Nicodemus's. Uh, exact position, but we know that he was a very, very powerful religious leader uh, within Israel. We don't know the exact one, like, you know, what what exact office he held. But when Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel? Are you teaching Israel? Are you one of those that is, is responsible to teach Israel and you don't understand these things? You don't know these things? So he's speaking of the fact that Jesus, uh, that Nicodemus, uh, as a teacher of the scripture, should understand what the Old Testament said about the need for rebirth and that God causes that rebirth. I just shared a few of those verses with you. Nicodemus, a teacher of the Old Testament, should understand uh, a little bit of what's happening here. So Jesus is addressing him here. And and, uh, like I said, we don't know, but we know he had a very prominent and powerful position uh, in Israel. Jesus said in verse 11, Most assuredly I say to you, we speak uh, what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but him who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying here that he's he's trying to speak of what he knows and is telling Nicodemus that he's unable to understand even the basics of the need for a spiritual rebirth. Dr. Henry Morris, Bible scholar, has said this. Jesus makes it clear that he can speak authoritatively about the things in heaven, though no one else can. I wanted to share that, that that he can speak authoritatively about the things of heaven, though nobody else can. That's what Jesus is saying there. Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, what he's mentioning here, if if, uh, you're you're familiar and understand, remember it, uh, uh, Numbers 21, I'm going to read to you a few verses. Uh, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9 says, then they journeyed. This is the, the next generation uh, after the, uh, the first generation had been um, uh, had died off. And uh, it says Numbers uh, 21, verse uh, 4 through 9. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor. And when I say ge- generation of those who came out of Egypt into, uh, and as they're wandering in the wilderness. This is the, the crowd. This is the setting that we're looking at. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor uh, by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. 
And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks on it, looks at it, uh, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. That might have seemed like complete foolishness to them. This is a real snake, and if it bites... You're telling me that if I look up at that pole, I'm going to experience uh, healing? Just think about a serpent. So uh, I, I listened to Joe Foch, and he was talking about a ministry that they have in South Africa. And, and part of what they need to provide is uh, the, the venom uh, serum um, antidote, venom antidote. So black mambas, uh, when they bite, uh, they have to give them, uh, the people that have been bitten, an antidote based on a drip. It's not like a, hey, you're good, here's your shot. It's, it's a drip because that, that venom is so poisonous that it will take over and, and, and kill the individual. So it has to be, where it's so powerful and it permeates, it has to be on a drip so that it can go through and then take that venom out. Sin, just like the bite of a serpent that, that can come and, and physically kill somebody, uh, it, it, that snake venom, it, we can look at, at that snake venom as a type of sin. So that poison uh, leads to death. That sin leads to death. So when Jesus says, uh, just like the serpent, Christ was lifted up and died on the cross for the sins of the world, that all who look to him in faith would receive eternal life. Jesus says that as the serpent was lifted up, he would be lifted up. Remember who he's saying this to. Saying this to Nicodemus that when Jesus died on the cross, who was there to take him off the cross? The guy that came to him in secret. The guy that, that cautiously defended him. And when Jesus died on the cross that he was just explaining that he needed to be lifted up, it made sense to Nicodemus. And right then he makes that proclamation, that declaration by the way he lived his life. And he goes and makes himself a public follower of Jesus Christ. A couple more uh, verses. We won't get through uh, John chapter 3, unfortunately, but we need to get through verses 16 and 17 at least, right? Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved that he gave that whosoever shall not perish but have everlasting life. If we need to share one verse with anybody, that's why you still see the signs. One verse. Okay, you can, guys, you don't, okay, uh, prison ministry. Okay, somebody is, is seeing the effect of their disobedience to the law. Captive in prison. I remember being in uh, uh, Air Force basic training back in 1998. Everybody was a Christian in basic training. <laughs> because 
the, the struggle was real. You're going through so much. You know, and everybody's like, when's church? And they want to go to church. And, oh, hey, let's pray. We're all praying together at night and everything. When we get out of basic training, we get to tech school, your freedom back. I'm hearing the vocabulary change quite a bit. <laughs> I remember going, I'm like, isn't that the dude that was like sharing scripture with everybody and he'd pray at night and everything? And then it's bleep, 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 bleep in tech school, right? We don't need to, when in, in that time of struggle, you know, we might be more susceptible to uh, making a, um, a, a uh, emotional decision. But you take somebody broken. Our pastor that stay, stood here for 20 years in, in jail, in, in, in the jail for, for the crime he committed, that's when God grabbed him. He, didn't, he knew where his sin had took him, and he was at that bottom point in his life. Oh, God so loved the world that whoever would believe him, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever, you want to get into the argument of, of uh, once saved, always saved, or, or uh, I know Calvinism versus um, the other one, Arminianism. Thank you. Uh, Calvinism, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? The, you can look in the scripture and make all these arguments. Jesus Christ said that whoever believes in whoever, anybody who hears, you can make all kinds of arguments one way or the other. All it has done is brought division to the church. Jesus Christ's words are a lot more important to me than any argument someone with PhD, DMC, whatever they want to put after their name. I don't care. The God of the universe is the one I'm going to listen to. This is the most wonderful and gracious offer that could ever be available. Eternal life for all who believe. Everybody. The prisoner in prison, the person that thinks they've got it all morally figured out, whatever it is. The one that's rich, the one that's poor. Doesn't matter. Whoever believes. These, these words of Jesus, he's, he's the one. He is the one. The one given to a sinful and rebellious world. Jesus came to save that sinners like you and me might have hope in a new life. There's no other religion like Christianity that God would become a man, live a sinless life, die for sinful mankind that we might be made acceptable in God's sight. Why? Because of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Most people can come to the conclusion, I think, if you present with them uh, with a uh, just a simple argument of, are you a sinner? Have you ever committed a sin? No, I don't think I have. Really? Okay. So let's look at what the Bible calls sin. Have you ever lied? Oh, okay. And the Bible says any, any sinner is in need of a savior. Without a Savior, we're destined for hell. How are we saved? Through Jesus. Romans 5, verses 5 through 8 says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, still without strength, it's not the, hey, get everything together and then come to the Lord. When you're still without strength to get rid of whatever is ensnaring us, when you're still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus said it's not the sick, it's the sick that need the physician, right? Not the one as well. It's the sick that needs a physician. For scarcely for a righteous man uh, will one die. Yet perhaps for a godly man, someone uh, may even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us toward us, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. It's all about believing in Christ. Whoever, each individual, that they should not perish but have everlasting life. The world and us sinners um, in it uh, were already condemned. And a God in his grace and mercy, mercy offers a free gift of salvation to anyone who believes. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus, right? And we already talked about John 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Important to understand, when you look at John 3.16, go right into verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to, excuse me, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world is already condemned. The world was already condemned when Christ came. God didn't send Christ to come wipe everybody out. He sent his only begotten son to save. That salvation would be offered. Jesus fulfilled the mission. When he died on the cross, when he said, it is finished. And when, when he gave up the ghost, and that veil of the temple that separated God from man was ripped just this past week at Yom Kippur. Uh, the Day of Atonement uh, was celebrated in the Jewish calendar. I think it was October 4th or 5th, um, where they'd celebrate the the, uh, the the high priest being able to go into the Holy of Holies beyond that thick veil that God ripped from top to bottom the moment Jesus died. There's no more separation because of what God did. I'm going to finish out verses 18 through 21, uh, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up today. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The condemnation spoken of here is a choice for any that hear the gospel and choose to reject Christ and go about their own sinful ways. I don't want to give up X. I don't want to give up sex outside of marriage. I love my alcohol, and I don't want to give that life up. I love this. I love that. I, those things that we would put in front of God and say, this is more important to me than a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is more important to me than the eternal life that he speaks of. We understand that that's the deception of sin, right? When the scripture tells us, and when Paul wrote and warned that, that those in, under the power of Satan have been deceived and brought under his, his power, their eyes have been shut. That's what that is. Jesus is speaking of those who love darkness and hate the light because, uh, because the light, he, Jesus, exposes the sin and the evil of sin and its effect on the sinner and those around them. Sin affects other people. It's not just, hey, you know what, I'm going to do, do my own thing. And there are often times, more often than not, that, that one's sin destroys the lives of everybody else around them, right? Look at marriages that fall apart rip apart and then then you got kids that now you know i gotta go to two christmases because somebody was having an adulterous affair or uh, you know what I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna follow this drug addiction so that it rips my family apart some are gonna some are gonna uh, uh just uh, accept me and, and want to help me and others are going to reject me and then that family gets torn apart i've seen that i've witnessed that in my own life it's awful 
It's awful. Reject sin. Turn from it. Its only desire is to kill. Sin's desire is to kill. We're almost done here. So many have stated that uh, they wonder if they've uh, committed the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In short, ultimately, that's the rejection of Christ as the Holy Spirit points us to Christ. Okay, so if you're ever worried, no, I've, I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin. No, you're still alive, right? And you still have time to accept Jesus, do it. Until someone's breathed their last, it's never too late for them to come to Christ. Remember the thief on the cross talk about 11th hour of somebody's life? Literally the 11th hour of that guy's life. At the end of it, he looks to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise to him. You know, I talked about the death confession. Deathbed confession, is it real? It's not our business to decide. It's our responsibility as Christians to share as he leads us and uh, anybody's reception uh, of the gospel is their own responsibility. An important thing I want all of us to understand, I've been, I've been with a few people on their deathbed. One of them, I didn't realize it was, it was their deathbed. And uh, I, I wish I would have done, some, uh, done things differently, and, and there was a burden that I carried for a while. I didn't realize they were dying right then. If you're carrying a burden for a loved one, a friend that's passed away uh, that you shared with and, and they left this world, just understand uh, if you don't know uh, or you don't think that they accept Jesus, that's not your fault. If you've shared, you've been a faithful witness in their life. You know, that's between them and the Lord. And encouragement is for us to share uh, as we should, but each one is accountable uh, for uh, themselves. Lastly, God's provided for us salvation in his son. We just see that in John chapter 3, verse 16. Forgiveness is found exclusively in Jesus, John 14, 6, as we talked about. To reject the only Savior is to be left with no means of salvation. To reject the only pardon is obviously unpardonable. So when we talk about this unforgivable sin or anything like that, to reject Jesus, that's the unforgivable sin. To reject the life that God offers. Next week, we'll pick up in verse 22. Let's pray. Father, we're blessed by your word. We're so, so blessed. I, just, I, I feel like I'm cheapening when I just say we're so blessed in, in our you know, English language here. We are incredibly blessed by your word. Just to understand the, the new life that comes with a relationship with you. God, that you would love us so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. You gave us your only son. That as we here and anybody else that hasn't already, anyone believes in you would not perish. Not perish, be separated from you for eternity. You loved us so much that you want to offer everlasting life. Is anybody here, Lord, that hasn't taken you up on that offer? I pray they will not leave this building without doing so and talking, uh, talking to me before leaving. And we'll pray. We'll talk. But, oh, Lord, you just push their enemy away. Push the sin away. Help them to see what you have to offer. Lord, that we would just, as we go out, as we share, help us to be faithful to share your gospel. Open doors for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.